Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, April 15, 2022. And in baseball, that means this is Jackie Robinson Day. Producing from her home state in Nebraska, Sarah Abbott. Producing from the heartland. I'm in San Diego where I'm getting ready for the the, uh, Sunday night game that we have coming up this weekend between the Atlanta Braves and the San Diego Padres. Last night, we saw the first game of the four-game series, and the Padres jumped on Charlie Morton early with help from a rookie. Here's the 0-1. Abram swings, hits it in the air to left field. Ozuna's racing back, going towards the wall, looking up. It's going to go! A home run! C.J. Abrams' first homer in the big leagues comes in his first at bat of the home opener, and the Padres take a 4-0 lead over the Braves. That sound from 97.3, the fan. Big news here in San Diego for tonight's game. Blake Snell went to the injured list, and that means the Padres are calling up Mackenzie Gore to make his major league debut on Friday. He's been one of baseball's top-rated prospects, had a terrible 2021 season, but he's been absolutely dominant uh, this spring. And so there's a lot of excitement about that major league debut. Up the freeway, Freddie Freeman ripped a double and the Dodgers 9-3 went over the Reds and Dodgers Stadium reacted. 1-0. Freeman hits one to left center field, slicing into the gap, he'll split him. A leadoff double for Freddie Freeman. Sweet swing. Sweet memory. Sweet chance. Yeah. Here was Freddie talking after the game about that moment. Freddie, this afternoon when we spoke, we talked about just what it's been like being welcomed by this fan base. But could you have imagined 50,000 people chanting Freddie after that grounder double? No, that's a, uh, about as cool as it gets right there. Uh, that was special. I looked up and saw my family jumping up and down too, so... Uh, that was a pretty amazing first game uh, for me and the fans welcoming me out here. I think the next six years are going to be very nice. Yeah, I got tingles. Uh, I got the chills going through my body. Um, it's hard to really even put into words. You know, you don't really see anything like that happening in the game. All you want to do is try your best and help the team win. And um, to be able to have that moment in the eighth inning there um, with these fans in my first game here, um, that's, as, that's as special as it gets right there. In Texas, the Angels and the Rangers, Shohei Otani on the mound, bottom of the second inning, an 0-2 count, and this happened. Here it comes, and that ball is hit well. Deep out to right, and he's gone! There's that Jonah Heim power, a grand slam, and the Rangers lead 4-2. Otani so far batting 172 with a 7-5-6 ERA. We're going to be talking with Jessica Mendoza about his early season struggles. A couple of other notes. The Pirates signed center fielder Brian Reynolds to a two-year contract. The Blue Jays, Teoscar Hernandez was placed on the injured list with an oblique injury. That's a big deal for the Blue Jays because obviously Hernandez, one of those guys who bats behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and takes advantage of the opportunities when opposing teams pitch around Vlad. The Cubs and Rockies. The Cubs off to a great start. Frank Schwindel had a moment. Strike two to Schwindel. Lifted to right. Pretty well hit. Back goes Blackman. Blackman near the fence. That ball is going to be gone. Frank Schwindel to the opposite field. It's a home run and a much needed home run for the Chicago Cubs. That sound from the Cubs radio network. Sarah, what else you got? 
All right, Buster, the Low Post podcast brings you some of the best insights into the world of the NBA, hosted by ESPN NBA insider Zach Lowe. Playoffs are here and Lowe will be there with what you need to know. Listen to the Low Post wherever you find podcasts. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Here's Dusty Baker talking about Jackie Robinson's impact. I'm extremely proud and pleased to be here this afternoon, but must admit I'm going to be tremendously more pleased and more proud when I look at that third base coaching line one day and see a black face managing in baseball. Thank you very much. That was my first year in the big leagues, my first full year. I never saw myself ever wanting to coach. And at that time, you know, a third base coach was a no-no because that was supposed to be the thinking man's spot on the team outside of the manager. Goes back to what my mom and dad told me when I was a kid, that if you're African-American, you gotta be twice good to, to accomplish the same thing. I mean, that's that's pretty evident when, when if you don't win the whole thing, which is all they talk about, then, then you're made to feel as if you're a failure. And I, I refuse to let anybody make me feel that I'm less than anything than, than good at what I do. And um, you know, I've lost a couple jobs with no explanation, period. Instead of being bitter about it, uh, it, it actually motivates me more uh, because of what and how I was raised on, on, and, and what my mom and dad instilled in me. You know, I was born two years after Jackie broke the color barrier. And, you know, most African-Americans at that time were Brooklyn Dodger fans because of Jackie. Jackie gave us a lot of pride about being black. And my dad, I mean, he idolized Jackie Robson. My dad was a baseball coach in our town of Riverside. He was big on attitude. And uh, my dad cut me when I was eight, nine, and 10, because he said I had a bad attitude and a bad temper. And if I could take that positive direction, that I could be something one day. And uh, whenever I would get mad and get in a fight or whatever, my dad would say, and I got really kind of got tired of hearing it. My dad would ask me, what would Jackie have done in that situation? He was very influential you know, in my life as a kid. He was an inspiration to us all. 
no matter what race you are. And I remember it in the Jackie Robinson movie about how there was a little white kid that wrote Jackie and Jackie and him became pen pals, became friends. Well, that inspired me because I have about 15 or 20 kids now that are men of all nationalities and a lot of them are white that, that, that I think about how Jackie influences one kid's life. And I just hope that I could be a, a, a small motivation to people of all nationalities and races to help motivate them and their kids. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravitch. On Baseball Tonight. Carl Ravitch, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. The Ravi Train rolling into San Diego this weekend. He's going to be doing the game on ESPN Radio on Saturday. And then on Sunday... Sunday Night Baseball. And Carl, you're going to be staying at the Omni, which is the hotel right across the street from the ballpark. And when I checked in yesterday, uh, I had to sign a, a form, uh, an acknowledgement. This was, it made me laugh, and I'm sure it will uh, make you laugh as well. I had to sign a form to acknowledge that there were going to be loud noises within range of the hotel. Clearly, a lot of people have complained in the past about the loud noises in the hotel, which is literally across the street from the ballpark. So get ready for that. <laughs> is, that is that like having the sign when you're going to a 4th of July celebration that there may be loud noises and bright lights in the sky? Be, be aware of that. And you drove to the celebration to see fireworks, <laughs> but you were not sure exactly that there would be sound and light associated with it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like I said to the person who checked me in, I'm like, do people really complain? And she smiled. She said, you wouldn't believe it. Like how many people complain about the loud noises coming from the baseball park right across the street <laughs> in one of the best atmospheres that we have in baseball. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. You're going to have Ozzy Albies on the microphone. Yes. Yep. Ozzy Albies uh, got the baton. And uh, it seems to be something that certainly the, the people at home love. And I know the baseball players who have, who have professed that uh, when we were locked out, we want to come back. We want to do it for the fans. This is another iteration of a baseball player, you know, reaching out to the fans. And uh, it has worked so well with Joey Votto. It worked tremendously last week. Thankfully, Kike Hernandez had a few balls hit to him. And uh, we'll see with Aussie Albies. But it's a, it's a wonderful thing for the players to be willing to do it. Uh, I'm not sure there's a lot of folks uh, doing things in their profession where they say, sure, I'll wear a microphone and communicate with somebody else in the middle of what I'm doing. Baseball lends itself to it because not everybody is involved in every play. But uh, look, I, I, I say it profusely, and I know ESPN, Major League Baseball, and certainly the fans uh, are really grateful and appreciative of the effort of the player. What else are you looking forward to the game Sunday? Because I know I'm fascinated by Darvish. Uh, you yeah. know, there's a lot of a lot of data, and you know, Paul Amikidi is going to have some coming up here in the show a little bit. Questions about sort of where he is in his career. Well, look, it's interesting. I mean, he was complete uh, feast in his first start to give up a hit, and then he was famine in his next start. Uh, Vlad Guerrero hit three home runs against the Yankees and had a double, and then the next night he struck out four times. It, it, it Look, it speaks to a couple of things. How difficult the game of baseball is, you, you never master it. Somebody once said about the game of golf, you, you never own it, you just borrow it. It's like taking a book off the library shelf. It's not yours. 
So you never own the game. You you never are you Darvish from from first game throughout the course of the entire season. There's going to be peaks and valleys. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch on Darvish with the number of pitches he throws, his dependence on a fastball. The fastball gets hit. It's really not his strikeout pitch. Um, you know, the way that he works. I think the thing that I'm looking forward to, A, they're two of the better teams in a league. Both can win World Series titles. One's playing without their best player. The Atlanta Braves are playing without their most famous player, who now plays for another team in Los Angeles. Um, but the, the gelling of, of the Padres, the Bob Melvin impact on a group, you know, every time there is a player that, that may be traded, it feels like A.J. Perl has got his hands in the pot doesn't matter who he is. doesn't matter if they have a need. He's at least investigating trading for that player or trading some of his players. And it would be so nice if, I think for the players in San Diego, if the waters just calm down a little bit yep. and can play. I think Brian Snitker said, we got to get into a dull routine. It'd be so nice to see what this Padre team is capable of in a dull routine, meaning everybody knows their role, everybody's on this team, and let's just go. Let's go with what we have. And that doesn't mean don't improve, but boy, they they are Tinker Taylor Sailor there with trying to always tweak things. I I hope that they're they're content barring injury with what they have, and let's let's let it roll. Let's see what the Padres can do. Yeah, I think there's always an assumption that uh, I I know when, when A.J. took over as general manager, that it's, oh, wow, he's always looking to improve. He's making moves. That can wear on players. I have yeah. heard that, that there are players who are just kind of sick of being in trade rumors. Uh, I'm sure. I, you know, they're tired of the names being out there. I mean, Eric Cosmer was out there before the trade deadline last uh, summer. His name was out there in the fall. His name was out there in the spring. We, you know, we had that 24-hour period where people wondering if he was going to be part of a trade to the Mets and then get flipped onto the yeah. Cubs. Uh, our friend Sarah Langs, I uh, asked her to look this up about the number of trades that the Padres have made. Uh, if you look since the start of October 2019, which really was at the end of when the, the Padres went through their tanking period, uh, the most number of trades, Tampa Bay 55. It doesn't surprise you or I that they're number one because that's what Tampa Bay does. Number two, the Padres at 36. I, I agree with you. I, I, you know, the word uh, instability comes to mind. They need stability. I would agree 100%. I think Hosmer's an incredible example of somebody who's who at least appears to have said, screw it, I'm putting my head down, and I'm putting the ball in play, and if I hit it in the ground, maybe it finds holes. If I hit some line drives, that's great. He elevated a few last night. Um, you know, there was a whole bunch of things that happened last night which were wonderful, from uh, Musgrove's start, being a hometown kid, to Abrams hitting a home run in his first, you know, home opener against the team he grew up rooting for. Uh, and, of course, Machado's five hits and, and Hosmer as well. Look, it's a darn good team. They obviously had a disastrous second half last year. Um, similarly, it, it's what's really cool. Both of these teams, and I and I sort of neglected to mention, you know, the Braves are not only playing without Freeman anymore, but Acuna's coming back. So you're going to get Tatis and Acuna back on these two teams um, at some point this season, which again just further justifies a broadcasting a game between these two teams and what the team's future and hopes are for this season. But let's let them play. Let's see what happens. I cannot believe it's been 25 years since the first Jackie Robinson day. Uh, I was working at the New York Times. I was the Mets beat writer uh, at Shea Stadium. Uh, And I got to say, like what I remember in the first few years was this whole debate around the question of who gets to wear 42. 
Like, uh, you know, would some players wear it with a handful? Would players get permission? And within a few years, organically, everybody was wearing it, which is great. And I I do think it's worth mentioning uh, Bud Selig here. Because Bud Selig, he gets a ton of criticism for various issues throughout history, you know, handling of the steroid era, uh, labor negotiations, the strike 94, 95, and, you know, what role he had in that. I give Bud all the credit in the world, A, for expanded playoffs. At that time, I, I remember saying that it was awful, and it turned out to be great. Uh, and this, uh, probably for me, the second most important part of his legacy, uh, initiating Jackie Robinson Day. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, I also recognize watching Ken Griffey Jr. this morning, um, you know, he was the one who reached out to the commissioner and talked about somebody wearing number 42, because as he said this morning, selfishly, that was my dad's favorite player. So selfishly, I'd like to do something for my father. So he called Selig and Griffey said, Selig told him, can you give me a day? Let me call Rachel. So he called Rachel Robinson and ran the idea by her. And then he called Griffey back and said, what if everybody wears the number 42? And Ken's like, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, mean, I, I really was doing this for my dad, but I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, I think Buster, as you get, as we get older, certainly as I get older, there, there's a, just a much greater appreciation for the significance of the person um, that Jackie was not, not the player, you know, in a lot of ways, baseball was, was his stage. It was the platform that allowed everybody to recognize, uh, that a black person, let alone man, woman, but that a black person was a capable, worthy, deserving of the ability to compete with everybody else, uh, no matter the skin color. And, and maybe again, as you get older, you, you appreciate the, the, the garbage, you know, the, the horrible, way of life that he had to put up with in order to open these doors. But baseball was the door opener for a man that made such a significant impact um, universally, politically, nationally, uh, bank-wise, business-wise. We see this commercial now with Tim Anderson for the Boys and Girls Clubs. And part of that commercial is Tim Anderson is playing a different role. He's a builder. He's a taxi driver. Uh, he's a doctor. He's a baseball player. That's the Jackie Robinson commercial. Opportunity. That, that's what Robinson represents. And again, as a, as a father, as a husband, you, you want everybody in your own circle and every circle to have the ability to do whatever it is they want and not be discriminated against for any reason and certainly the color of their skin. So, again, there's a maturity about people that look at what Jackie did and was able to put up with um, that I think you recognize, as, at least I do, as I get older and older. It's an amazing story, and I love the way that 42 is, is retired. Think about that. Every single ballpark, it's not only that the number is up there on the wall, it's that every person that goes in there has the ability to see it. And most importantly, every kid that goes in there says to his mom, his dad, his coach, his friend, what is, what's this wall? is 42 up there and the story gets retold and retold and retold that's to me as great an impact as you can have it's there people will be curious what the heck is 42 
Yeah, I'm sitting about 30 feet away from a framed jersey uh, that they have Tony Gwynn. Uh, of course, Mr. Padre, I got to cover him for a few years. And I remember in this during the season in 1997 when the Mets played the Padres, I got to sit down with Tony and he talked about, you know, how great he, it was. He thought that uh, that they honored Jackie Robinson in that way. Um, you know, he grew up a Dodger fan, knew the story. Uh, and, and I think that's the most important thing is that people – need to know the story, need to know the details. And we get that opportunity today. We got about two minutes left. I want to ask you about this. Uh, Clayton Kershaw spoke of the reporters yesterday, the day after he was removed from a seven inning perfect game. Uh, he was not given the opportunity by his manager, Dave Roberts, to finish it. Here's what Kershaw said. As much as I would have wanted to do it, I've, I've thrown 75 pitches in a sim game, you know, and I hadn't gone six innings, let alone seven. And, um, Sure, I would have loved to do it, but um, you know, maybe we get another chance. Who knows? I don't know, man. It's 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 a hard thing to it's a hard thing to do to have to come out of a game when you're doing that. But um, like I said, we're here to win, and that uh, this was the right choice. Now, Carl, I will tell you that as I watched that play out the other day, I was like, "Yep, that's baseball 2022." Dave Roberts is managing. Uh, and operating in the way that all teams are these days. It didn't surprise me at all they took him out, in part because of Kershaw's age, how cold it was in Minnesota the other day, the truncated spring training. And the reality is Kershaw probably, at age 34, is one injury away from his career being over. So if they're thinking big picture, I get it. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I get it with a caveat. Uh, like, to me, the Blake Snell World Series Paul was far more egregious than Kershaw because he's not old. He didn't have really have a history of, of injury. And that was based sort of on third time through. Um, I don't know, Buster, I, I hear you. Uh, it, it does make you wonder like, what if this was part of a seven inning doubleheader and he completed the seven innings and he had a perfect game. What's the discussion going to be like then 80 pitches uh, selfishly as a fan, uh, selfishly as a fan of Clayton Kershaw, I would have liked to seen him go and try to complete the perfect game. Dave, David Cohn brought up a great point to us, and of course he'll be with Eddie and me and you on Sunday night. Um, when he was in that situation and was taken out, um, I think it was Joe Torrey who said, look, man, the, the only off-ramp that I have is the seventh inning. If I allow you to go back out in the eighth inning and you throw 28 more pitches and you, you complete it without giving up a, a hit or a walk, I have to let you finish the ninth. And then we've gone from 70 pitches, 75 pitches to 130 pitches. So that's an interesting kind of inside baseball take from a pitcher. It's my off ramp, the seventh inning. Um, I would have liked to have seen him try. Uh, I would have. And uh, when we talk about this on Sunday night, I covered that game for the times when, when David threw his perfect game, I've got stories from that day and uh, that'll be a lot of fun to kick that around. All right, Carl, thanks for doing this. I'll see you at, uh, at the ballpark. And I'm prepared for loud noises. You got it. I'll see you soon. Here's NBA Hall of Famer Oscar Robertson talking about getting a chance to see Jackie Robinson play. When I lived in Indianapolis, I really wanted to see Jackie Robinson perform when he played against the Cincinnati Reds. And it was a marvel to see so many people there came out to see him play and we set out in right field i didn't realize that particular time that's for all the black people sat in cincinnati i see jackie coming to the plate you know and he cleaned his cleats off 
get that bat up. We've got that bat high up in there, you know. And he's watching that, watching that pitch, and all of us, before the pitcher gets ready to, to throw the strike to him, he drops his bat a little bit, boom, and he swings away. And when he gets on base, man alive, he's up and down. He's getting that pitcher agitated, getting the pitcher nervous because he breaks a little bit, he stops, and the pitcher doesn't know what he's going to do. Then all of a sudden, boom, he's on second. What he faced was, I mean, just almost unreal to a point where the, the people tried, really tried to hurt him. He took the blow for everybody. And I really appreciate him doing that for me. I faced some things, but not like Jackie did. I walked into the economics class at the University of Cincinnati, walked in the door, professor said, what the hell are you doing here? And you know, to be honest, I was so naive. I looked around and tell the white guys on the team that were in the same class. I said, who is this? I said, is he talking to you guys? He said, he said, no, I'm talking to you. Yeah, I said, I was ordered, I was told to take this class. I said, you know, I, I, I don't have a choice. He said, well, you're not, you're not gonna pass this class. Give me an F. I didn't feel empowered to do anything at all. And the thing about it, hell, I'm playing, I'm averaging 35 points a game, man. And he's saying, I said, what, what if I'd been averaging two or three points a game? That's what I mean. You know, we never heard of Oscar Robinson whatsoever. In 1965, I became head of the Players Association as its president, the first black person to do that. In the 60s, there was no money being made by athletes. Then all of a sudden, the Oscar Robson rule came into effect that says if you're a free agent, you have a right to go to other teams. You have the right to decide your own future. I understand that I was not well liked by the NBA. But when the pendulum is always up here to the left and the owners are holding it, won't let it swing back and forth, then you're going to have those things because they wanted to dominate. Jackie was very outspoken. I mean, he earned the right. And I think what happened with Jackie is that a lot of people in the white power positions didn't like it because he could influence other young black people. And other white people as well. And, you know, they didn't like that. But I think that what he went through should be thought of and revered forever. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jessica Mendoza is an analyst for ESPN and Jess. Before we talk about Jackie Robinson Day, uh, knowing your interest in music, I thought this would interest you. Earlier in the week, we found out that our friend Sarah Abbott is named for the song Sarah by Fleetwood Mac. Her sister is named for the song Amanda by Boston. And I told Sarah the other day, like, it's not even close. She got the cooler song over her older sister. What do you think? Oh, totally. I mean, I feel like Rihanna needed to be in there somewhere, too. I mean, <laughs> just throw in all the cool. That's awesome. It says a lot about Sarah's parents, too. I'm all about classic rock. So Fleetwood okay. Mac, Stevie, Stevie Nicks is like she's like one of my all time favorite artists ever. OK, so you're going to be excited about that. But then you're going to be appalled by this. Sarah, uh, before our conversation the other day in the podcast, had never looked at the lyrics of the song, Sarah, or listened to the song in the lyrics. How about that? What? (laughs) Sarah, defend yourself. I felt it would be narcissistic. (laughs) And also my sister, I kind of explained it a little bit. She would blast her song all the time. And so being the youngest, I'm like, I don't think I have any right to blast my song over her. But what if like the song was about like a serial killer named Sarah and you're like living your whole life, not even knowing your parents were like, (laughs) maybe you after (laughs) some crazy person. (laughs) That was part of the fear. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I I didn't want to (laughs) know. Very nice. All right. Uh, Jackie Robinson day to day. Jess, how did you find out about Jackie Robinson the first time? What do you remember how how you, you went through that process? I grew up a Dodger fan. My favorite player was Sandy Koufax. And so that was a natural extension for me at age eight, nine years old. What about for you? My dad, um, you know, he talked a lot about it's, it's amazing. Roberto Clemente, Satchel Paige and Jackie Robinson were like three players that really you know, he was born in 1939. So he got to see, you know, Jackie play and, you know, just the opportunity and the understanding for him being, you know, Mexican American, his, you know, family coming from Mexico, just understanding even then at a younger age, the importance of seeing color in a sport that he absolutely loves. I mean, he came from a huge baseball family, his, you know, his dad and his grandfather played baseball, Um, professionally in Mexico and um, just how important the sport was, but then coming over to the U S and not seeing any color, Um, especially, you know, for him, even though the daughters were in Brooklyn, um, but as they made their way to LA, just knowing the history and the importance of Jackie Robertson. And then what that led to, because in our family, Roberto Clemente was like put on a pedestal. And then thereafter in the eighties, when I was growing up, it was Fernando Valenzuela and it all began with Jackie. Um, and so just hearing the stories of my dad, you know, a lot of dads, I think, talk about the Mickey Mantles and the Joe DiMaggio's and rightly so. But in our family, it was about Jackie Robinson. It was about Satchel Paige, just how he'd throw a baseball and Roberto Clemente and what he meant to our entire community. Nice. Nice. Yep. 
Uh, I just love the fact that every year we have the conversation and then that they, you know that there are new fans who are learning about Jackie Robinson for the first time uh, and learning about his legacy. Uh, all right. I got a few things to run past. You show Otani last night uh, gets lit up uh, for the first time in his career. He allowed a home run on a split finger fastball on an 0-2 pitch to the ninth hitter for the Texas Rangers. And as of this morning, he has a 7.56 ERA and he has a 172 batting average. And I'm sorry, but I'm attributing it directly to the shortened spring training. What about you? Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think that's for sure part of it. I mean, we're seeing that, you know, even just with hitters kind of struggle out the gate and just, you know, figuring stuff out. But I mean, to me, I think Shohei Otani did something last year that set a standard and an expectation that is unreal. I mean, honestly, like what Shohei Otani was able to accomplish that season, I'm not saying he can't repeat that, but I think there's also now just every time he takes the mound, every time he's in the batter's box, we expect greatness beyond anything I think we've ever expected from a player. And guess what? He's human. And that's what I saw. I think more than anything is, you know, you're going to wake up some days and your split might not be what it was yesterday. And you are still working on stuff and your body might feel this way, or honestly, you just don't got it. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, I think if we see this, you know, consecutively over the course of multiple starts and, you know, after we're a you know, month and a half into the season, then it might be something different. But I think ultimately the expectation for Shohei Otani has never been higher. And I think we just expect him to be great every single time. What did you think as someone who knows the Dodgers about the decision to take Clayton Kershaw after out after seven innings? Because I, I just mentioned to Rabbi that I just covering baseball in this era, I didn't think there was any chance he would finish that game because of his injury history, because of his age, because of the conditions, you know, below 30 degrees in, in uh, Colorado. Uh, I, I saw the reaction from a lot of uh, announcers basically saying, what is he, Dave Roberts doing? I'm like, there was no chance he was going to be allowed to finish that game. What did you think? You know, this, there's a split personality that answers that question. The fan in me is like, it sucked. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, when you think about just the core of you, that's like, well, there's been 23 perfect games in the history of baseball. I mean, this wasn't just a no hitter. Now, I think what helped me is like a baseball analyst, having just seen you Darvish and Sean Manaya five days prior for the Padres getting pulled with no hitters in the sixth inning and the seventh inning with like some wicked stuff. We were like, they, they have a real chance to be able to complete something and do something that ne neither had done before, you know, I knew that Clayton wasn't going to last in the game. So it was like this split personality of like the fan, the one that just loves seeing, you know, greatness, keep them in, come on, let's go. But then the, the analyst side of me, the realistic side of me knew exactly. There's no way. I mean, where we're at coming out of spring training, having it be short, knowing Clayton Kershaw, where he's at with his age, what they need. I mean, the only weakness right now with the Dodgers is their starting rotation and the fact that they need that depth um, to stay healthy. So I think knowing all those factors, but gosh, like it, it's hard because like, I mean, it's, the amount of pitches, he was so efficient. Like that's, it was like perfect table setter for history and for everyone. Clint Kershaw, yeah, he's had a no hitter, but to add perfect game to that would have been really, really cool. So I think the one scenario in which I could see Dave Roberts not taking him out would have been if as Clayton is leaving the mound and leaving the field level and walking into the Dodger dugout and goes right to Dave Roberts and said, I am staying in. I think Dave would have deferred to him. That's the one case. But I think that, you know, Clayton at, at his age, 
uh, all the injuries he's had, I I think he is at a point where he understands that there's a lot bigger issues, 30,000 foot issues regarding him physically than, than there, than there were 10 years ago. Do you agree with me? If, if he had lobbied that Dave would have been like, you got it, big man. Well, I think even five years ago, the mind of Clayton Kershaw, put him in the same body that he has now, the mind of Clayton Kershaw would have fought. I mean, he's someone that is incredibly stubborn, that is stuck with, you know, things that he knows that in his mind, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I've always done it. I mean, I feel like no one that I've ever met has been so stuck in his ways as Clayton Kershaw was up until about five years ago when those injuries really started to add up. And he's had to change that mindset and be like, you know what? I've got to do what's best for my body. So I do feel like if the mind of Clayton Kershaw from five years ago was in this body, he would have fought. And I agree. Dave Roberts, he's not arguing. There are like a handful of people in the world that Dave Roberts will not argue with. One is Clayton Kershaw. Last one for you. I got asked this fascinating question on Radio New York this morning about Garrett Cole, uh, someone you know well. And the question was, if the Yankees had the information now about Garrett Cole, uh, about how he's pitched post-sticky stuff crackdown, would they give him? In other words, if they could do a do-over today, would they give him that contract, nine years, 324? And I was like, no, there's no chance. And I looked up the numbers after I did the show, Jess. Since the sticky stuff crackdown, which you know the, the reports came out on June 5th, uh, 21 starts, including that postseason game in Boston last year, he is a 4-2-2 ERA, and I don't say this as a criticism of Garrett Cole because you and I both know there were 90% of pitchers in baseball were doing something, but I've had this conversation with folks in baseball. They don't know what Garrett Cole is. You know, they, they're not sure exactly what he is. Is he a number two starter? Is he a three starter? Is he a really good two? Is he an ace? But the last 21 starts with those type of results, absolutely the Yankees wouldn't. To me, it would be like, Buying a car, a Lamborghini, and then driving it around for, you know, 100 miles and all of a sudden things start to show up that you don't expect. Of course, you wouldn't make the same purchase. You agree with me or no? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at those numbers, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, what they paid the ridiculous amount of money for him were the numbers that he had prior to that. And you know, I, I we still, I think, need some more time to be able to really like right. assess. I agree. But, but but I do think that, you know, you see the greatness of Garrett Cole. You, you still, like, you will get these starts and these spurts for sure where it's like, oh, my gosh, like 97 at the top of the zone, breaking balls that are just dirty. I mean, it's there. And I wonder sometimes if it's also mentally, you know, when something has changed. We talked about this last year when it was the rule was implemented in the middle of the season or, it, you know, during the season and how many pitchers just freaked out. I mean, yeah. we've seen Garrett Cole scream and yell when the game was four minutes late. So, I mean, if you're going to take something that was always allowed kind of under the table, this is what I use and rely on. And now it's gone and I've got to try other things. I think there's going to be a, a, a time where it's just not even the physical because the stuff is there. I mean, I see dirty come out of his hand all the time. It's just more of a matter, I think, mentally knowing that this is how you're going to throw now. Yep, I agree. And he has a face, he has the capability clearly in his stuff to figure it out. And I think from the Yankees uh, perspective, they probably want that to happen sooner rather than later. <laughs> All right, Jess, good to talk with you. Always, Buster. And make sure to tune in too. We got college softball weekend. I'm in Arizona. Woohoo! <laughs> Jumping into the numbers. 
This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo, of course, Paul Ambikidi is a researcher at ESPN who's honcho on the show. Get up and Hembo, uh, I, I know you and I both love the first week, 10 days of the season when all these teams have home openers and they're playing in the daytime because uh, you can just watch baseball all day, basically. Oh, my goodness. The first couple of weeks of the season are always my favorite because obviously we've gone so long without it. And the only thing better than baseball is day baseball. Baseball was a game conceived to be played during the day. And obviously because I wake up even before the rooster crows because of my, of my job on get up, I love the chance to watch as many afternoon games as possible. It has been a delight and I wish there were more of them. Give me something that you've really in a game or player, something you really enjoyed uh, watching this week. Well, <laughs> how could you not have enjoyed Stephen Kwan, the emerging superstar for Cleveland? Look, Obviously, uh, his sort of emergence, sort of coming out of nowhere, is something that I think took the baseball world by storm this week. But I also think it goes to show you, Buster, that there's something really fun and, and charming and different about a player that just puts the ball in play. Like the, the whole notion that he had this long streak without even swinging and missing once sort of like, like energized baseball in such a way that demonstrates just how rare that is. And that really struck me this week that a player who he really hadn't heard of who, do, who has this like one particular skill that's so rare in today's game really energized all of us. I actually think it was fairly instructive and, and goes a long way in, 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 in sort of demonstrating what like sort of baseball like sort of should be at least something that we really, really enjoy watching. And look, I mean, obviously it's a sort of a feel good story. I hope he stays hot. Where do you fall on the whole issue of a foul tip for a strike three? Uh, it's hard to believe that we actually having this discussion with my son yesterday about the whole question of making contact and swing and misses, <laughs> you know, it's funny. yes, of course. It's just one of those, like sometimes like Buster baseball is such that like, it just can't be baseball. If we don't have these ridiculous, like, uh, like nuanced, like, like granular, tedious conversations about this kind of nonsense. Like that's baseball. I love that part of baseball. And that's part of the reason I love some of the unwritten rules, because these are things that just can't really be reconciled. I don't think everything in life is meant to be so tidy, so cut and dry. And there are so many little things like that about baseball that I actually like. And I know a lot of people don't, but that's sort of what makes it, you know, sort of what makes the world go around. Give me a few things you're looking forward to seeing this weekend. Well, Buster, the first thing is, is the Yankees' playoff series against the Orioles. Now, I obviously say that tongue-in-cheek, but I view any time, if you're a contending team, that you play the Orioles as a must-win series. And I'll tell you why. Buster, last season, the Tampa Bay Rays went 82-61 and 61 in all games in which they did not play the Baltimore Orioles. The Yankees went 81-62 and 62 in such games. One game difference. The, the big difference, of course, that the Yankees lost eight games to Baltimore last season. Tampa lost only one, and that was the difference in the division. Look, Baltimore is fielding a triple-A team that just so happens to play in a beautiful stadium, right? We, You and I agree. It's ridiculous what they are doing. But if I'm managing uh, the Yankees or Toronto or Boston, I'm managing those three games like they're playoff games because I need to win those games, and I'll take my chances with all the rest. That's how I view playing the Orioles this season. Number two. Buster, I want to see if the Astros pitching staff can stay this hot. Look, they, they were the Vegas favorite to win the American League entering the season, which kind of made me scratch my head. But look, obviously, hashtag small sample size alert. 
the pitching has been ridiculous. The starters and the relievers both have a sub two ERA right now. I've been very encouraged by, by the little that we've seen from Justin Verlander, whose velocity was in a really good place, obviously, after that injury. And they're going to be up against a, a Mariners lineup that I had high hope for, but is off to a really, really sluggish start. Look, if the Astros can pitch like this, I would have to say Vegas is right. They're going to be the favorite to come out of the American League again. There's no question. Uh, and by the way, Justin Verlander, 226 wins. I think he has the, the, uh, the a chance to be the last pitcher to ever get to 300 wins. No one else will come close after he takes a shot at it. All right, third thing you're looking forward to this weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing Seiya Suzuki take some hacks at Coors Field. This was my National League Rookie of the Year pick, Buster. And I think I still may have sold him short. I'm obsessed. I'm in love with the profile so far. He's seen through five games, 91 pitches. He swung and missed only three times, Buster. He's chased only three times, and he's already got four swings in which he's generated an exit velocity of at least 100 miles per hour. Look, the Cubs gave him a huge contract. $85 million is a lot, so we should have expected a lot, but I don't feel like much was made about them and and him in spring training. Uh, I'm not so sure he's going to emerge as a superstar, but early indications are that he has a chance to be an excellent big league hitter. All right, you had a suggestion for a segment called Real or Fake. And so I'm going to give you three starts, and you tell me if this is a, a the what they're doing early. These players is a reflection of something real or fake, like Cattell Marte off to a slow start. I think that's going to be fake, Buster. I, I do think Marte is going to have a great season. Right now, his batting average on balls in play is under 200 despite making great contact. And I think there's a durable track record here. Since 2019, he's the third leading hitter in baseball with a 315 batting average, pairs that with a 536 slug. And he's also, I mean, right now, he's like smack dab in the middle of what should be his prime. I think Marte is poised for a huge season. I'm not perturbed by what we've seen so far. I think he's going to break out and be a monster. Gavin Lux off to a great start. What do you think? So I think this is real, Buster. I think this is his breakout season. Let, let's put in context like sort of where, where he was and, and, and where he's arrived now because we obviously know the minor league track record was extraordinary. And he still he hasn't surpassed 500 career big league at-bats in large part because he's just stuck on the Dodgers who have an all-star at practically every position. He's always sort of been a misfit on defense there too. But look, they're playing him at second base where he has proven to be good. We know his struggles have mostly come in the outfield. It would not surprise me if I say midseason buster, this is an impact hitter in the middle of their order who is comfortable playing in an everyday role at second base. I believe in the talent. I think this could be his breakout season. You agree with me that the difference between the Dodgers and just about every team except for maybe the Rays is their ability to develop young players? Because I do. You know, they 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 they're so patient. They've done such a great job being patient with, you know, guys like Will Smith, Walker Bueller. It's uh, Gavin Lux, I think, would be the latest example. Their process is extraordinary. When you pair the amount of money that they can spend with the sort of shrewd uh, team building strategy that Andrew Friedman brought over, it's a, it is it is an approach buster that, like, I don't know how any team in baseball could over a period of time be better than them until something changes. Like there, there's no obvious reason to me why the Dodgers couldn't keep on this track for several more years. Their, their, their process is about as perfect as it gets. And just, so, and they can just so happen to spend as much money as they possibly want. They do as good a job as anyone in baseball 
of developing players as well. And look, I mean, <laughs> Andrew Friedman was outstanding doing that in Tampa. Now he has three times the payroll. On Sunday night, it looks like we're going to get you Darvish of the Padres pitching against the Braves. He allowed nine runs in the inning and two thirds the other night. Was that an outlier? Buster, I mean, I don't think so. Maybe to that degree, it was an outlier, but, but I think we've seen enough now to worry that you Darvish's best days are behind him. So hashtag arbitrary endpoint here, but he made the all-star team last year, but I went back and looked at the second half of the season bleeding into this season. So He's made 16 starts since the beginning of July last year. And in those 16 starts, Buster, his ERA is 7.04. It's the highest ERA of any qualified pitcher during that time. And also, over that period of time, he owns the highest home run rate of any qualified pitcher. His his breaking balls, which were once like this suite of just extraordinary swing and miss, are no longer a weapon. Like the, The league is tagging his slider and tagging his curveball in a way that we have just not seen before. The velocity is still there. You're still seeing high strikeout totals, but you're seeing those walks creep up a little bit, and you're seeing the damage done on swings to a much larger degree than before. You are not. You don't have to be nearly as defensive and, and even counts with you, Darvish, as you used to. I think that might be a sunk cost, and I don't think we're, I don't think we're looking at days moving forward, Buster, in which you, Darvish, resembles anything approximating an ace. It's fascinating because this week I heard – that part of the discussion with Darvish, and tell me if based on the data that you uh, just uh, recited, and by the way, I want you to send it to me for our, our Sunday night game. Um, I heard this week that basically the front office saying, you got to throw your fastball more than you do. Like this whole approach of throwing the kitchen sink isn't working. And in his first start, 50% fastballs. That is so interesting because I was, look, I watched a bunch of you Darvish starts in the second half of last season and noticed this, but that whole, like you said, that whole array of sliders and curveballs, and the, he obviously used to sit with that stuff and, and and work his fastball off of it. The league is slugging a higher clip off of those pitches over that last sort of stretch that I described going back to July than his fastball, which was um, which is obviously totally totally counterintuitive based upon you know years of, of track record in the big leagues. Uh, the Padres are looking at the same data that I am, and they're saying like you have to pitch a little bit more traditionally because this spin. Like once you sort of lose the sharpness of those pitches, obviously you're giving hitters a greater chance to react and you, and you reduce your effectiveness to a great degree. Right now, you Darvish is pitching like he still has ace stuff and he doesn't anymore. So he's going to have to modify his approach and do it quickly. All right, Hembo. Thanks for doing this. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, man. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, it is time for Bleacher Tweets. So first up, we have Ernesto Cedillo in all caps. Why did Roberts take Kershaw out? I get it's early after a shortened spring, but he was only at 80 pitches through seven. At 13 strikeouts, he could have had one of the most dominant performances of all time. I feel robbed as a fan of the sport. I understand, uh, but, you know, as I was talking about with Jess and with Ravi, Sarah, I, I just didn't think there was any chance he was going to have a, a, an opportunity to finish. What did you think? So there's certain things I consider my villain origin story, one of them being NFTs, the second one being roundabouts, and now Clayton Kershaw getting taken out before he got to finish a perfect game. I get it. <laughs> I get it, but I'm still really butthurt about it. You're on Bitter Boulevard about it. I am on Bitter Boulevard. (laughs) And so the next one comes from Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit. 
Who were you more impressed with Wednesday, Kershaw or Vlad? Uh, Vladdy. Uh, Kershaw was unbelievable, but for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he gets his hand spiked and to still go out there and hit his second and third home runs in that game. No wonder why Garrett Cole was tipping his cap toward him. Like, man, he is so good right now. He's the best hitter in baseball. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Next up, we have Calvin Harris. Hey, Buster, you may have seen the rapturous reception for Atlanta third base coach Ron Washington on opening night when his name was announced as part of the World Series celebration. What other position coaches are a particular fan favorite around MLB? Nobody like Wash. Uh, you know, I mean, think about Wash's legacy. Uh, you know, he was a player in the big leagues, but wasn't really that well known. I think the book Moneyball, uh, when that came out, he's played such a prominent role in that. And then, of course, uh, when the movie came out, he, he was a character in that movie. Uh, and, you know, he was manager of the Rangers. They make it to the World Series. They came within one David Freeze triple of winning the World Series. And uh, all the attention he's gotten in recent years for his great work with the, the Atlanta infielders. I don't think anybody's at that level among coaches. I think in the past, Dave Duncan would have been a guy, you know, he got a lot of attention for his work with the St. Louis Cardinals. But you don't see coaches get that type of acclaim. And it's really cool because Wash deserves it. Next up, we have Corey Record. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced your name, Corey. What do you all think of an MLB relegation system like soccer uses? Not going to happen. You know, <laughs> I've heard this, Sarah. And Corey, I've heard it too. But that would mean getting an owner to acknowledge that his team is not major league caliber and, you know, selling tickets you know, it becomes more problematic because you're representing that's major league caliber. I mean, think about it. They're owners of teams that are tanking, willingly posting clubs with like $35 million payrolls and pretending that it's a major league product. There's no way that owners would agree to a relegation system, but it's a fair question. And lastly, we have Donald Gantz. What's up with Michael Conforto? I'm he not hearing anything about him. Does Scott have him overpriced? Are teams afraid of recent injury? Yeah, it's, he's in a terrible situation. Uh, he was given a qualifying offer by the Mets. He turned that down, which means he's attached to draft pick compensation. That's a problem. And then as Scott Boris's agent has acknowledged, he hurt his shoulder. That also is a problem. And now if you're a team looking at him, you understand Conforto is going to want a, a short-term deal to get his value. Um, and there are teams that are not going to give up draft picks in order to make that happen. And, you know, one of the possibilities in the past would have been for a player in Conforto's situation to wait for the amateur draft to go by. And that's, uh, you know, at that point, they free themselves from draft pick compensation. But because of the change in baseball's calendar, the draft is now not till the middle of July. So he really is in a tough spot. I think the, the only real option for him to come back and play early this season would be if he were to agree to a really underpriced deal for one year. And maybe that's the ticket he's going to have coming back. And that's it for Bleacher Tweets today. Be sure to submit your question using hashtag Bleacher Tweets. And thank you so much. That's it for today. Uh, my thanks today to Dusty Picker, Jess Mendoza, Paul Mbikides, Carl Ravitch, and to Sarah. Uh, it's, that's it for this week. And by the way, as we look ahead toward next week, because of my travel, uh, I'm, we're going to have podcast next week on Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday. Stay safe. Enjoy Jackie Robinson Day. 
Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus Chews.